In it here now, I'm gonna do now, I'm gonna be on here now, who bid $500,000 bid. Welcome to the Legacy of Agriculture. This program will explore the past, present, and future of agriculture. We'll look at the people, products, and events that have formed its history. And now with today's guest, your host, Chris Bear. Good morning, everybody. This is Chris Bear, your host of The Legacy of Agriculture. We appreciate you being here with us on a Saturday morning. We appreciate our sponsor, Pfeiffer Auction and Realty, based out of Moorhead, Minnesota. Today on The Legacy of Agriculture, we're out on the road, uh, clear over in Nyssa, Oregon. We've decided to be on the road for a couple of weeks, and co-hosting with me today is my daughter, Carolina. We appreciate Carolina for being here with us. And in Nyssa, Oregon, a longtime professional friend of mine, I'm with Gary Sparks from Nyssa Tractor Salvage in Nyssa, Oregon. Good morning, Gary. Appreciate you joining us here. Well, good morning, Chris. Glad to be here. We appreciate Gary for taking time out of his extremely busy schedule. Gary grew up in the auction business, in the ag auction business in eastern Oregon and western Idaho. Eventually transitioned into the parts and the machinery business in the early part of his professional career and now has built a absolutely phenomenal clear full of machinery yard 40 40 plus acres gary yeah yeah the yard has five miles of road in it five the miles of road the rest is farm machinery and parts uh gary has gone from absolutely in this 40 acres i can remember 30 plus years ago being here and uh, watching the jackrabbits run across the place and, <laughs> and uh, have, have come back here a number of times over the last five or six years and the, and the yard is completely full of machinery. Gary, you have an interesting heritage and an interesting family and an interesting start. Your dad was an auctioneer. My dad was an auctioneer. He was uh, born in 1931, uh, drafted into the Korean War during the Korean conflict when he came home from the... From that, he had absolutely nothing but an uncle with a livestock auction here in Nyssa, and uh, he put him to work at that at that cow sale. Um, he started selling the selling the livestock auction, and eventually grew into uh, and started in 1955, and uh, partnered up with a, an older auctioneer. As you know, you it's pretty tough to get started in the auction business without a without a mentor and um, they grew that uh, farm sale business to one of the biggest ones in the in the northwest um, they they sold um, lots and lots of farm sales during that period of time in the 60s and 70s and, and the 80s uh, there was a time dad talked about having a farm sale every day for 90 days and there were little sales you know they only had one tractor maybe two if it was a big farmer and uh, 12 or 15 or 20 head of cows. Everybody milked a few cows. And dad talked about uh, selling an auction in the morning and writing up a sale in the afternoon and repeated that for 90 days straight. Um, he, um, he started me in the auction business uh, when I was 15 years old. He sent me to Western College of Auctioneering in Billings. And um, I went uh, directly into uh, into working for him and and working at the local livestock auctions. Uh, I sold my first sale in Grandview, Idaho, in the spring in February of uh, 1974, and that was before I went to auction school. And then uh, 
and then progressed from there. Um, what, what was the first item that you sold? Do you remember? I do not. You don't remember? I, do remember. I know that you had told me at one time what it was, and I can't remember, but that was many years ago. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, you got your start. You started when you were 15 and then went to auction school. By the time I was 21 years old, there, for a short period of time, I sold five livestock auctions a week. I went to Lewiston, Idaho on Tuesday. I went to uh, Baker, Oregon on Wednesday. Grand Oregon on Thursday, Vail, Oregon on Friday, and Caldwell, Idaho on Saturday for a short period of time when I was 21 years old, and I decided that is stupid. And so I cut it back some and uh, uh, spent more time trading farm machinery. I went to I went to four world champion livestock auctioneer contests, uh, started in 1979, 80, 81, and 82, um, and... Uh, just kind of started trading more machinery and and uh as we got into the to the 90s you know there was a lot less a lot less farm machinery to be sold lots of places were bigger there wasn't so many little guys and that's just continued to be the same uh, ever since ever since then you know did you like being an auctioneer i really enjoyed being an auctioneer i liked uh, the fast pace of the of the auction business um met a lot of really good people um and uh, still friends with a lot of them to this time, to this day, yeah. There's a lot of great auctioneers now that started out when we were young, and now they're retired and, and taking it easy. Yeah, a lot of them turned to the, to the automobile industry because it was just more lucrative. A lot of the, of the uh, livestock auctioneers that were really good, uh, they, they went to the, the automobile business uh, and stayed a lot busier. And it's a lot cleaner, healthier environment. You're selling cattle all the time with sawdust, and it's a lot cleaner to sell a car, isn't it? <laughs> you would think. And they don't yell at you when they're hungry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they don't eat. They don't eat dire bloat. How's that? <laughs> that's exactly right. So you, you, um, in your teenage years, you were in the auction business. You went to the West Western College of Auctioneering in Billings, and uh, you made kind of a transition into your 20s and even close to 30 years old from the auction industry uh, into the machinery business. Uh, tell us tell us how that happened. Well, in the, oh, I don't know, I guess the early 80s, um, there was an old boy from um, uh, Mitchell, Nebraska, showed up at one of our farm sales at mm-hmm. DeWeezer. We had, as I still remember, uh, remember talking to him. Um, and, uh, and we had a cultivator, a four-row cultivator, a Lilliston rolling cultivator. And after the sale, he came up to me, and we sold it for about a 1000 bucks. And he came up to me, and he said, hey, them things always bring that kind of money out here? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, they do. He said, man, you can buy them things back there in Scott's Bluff for three or $400 all day long. Well, the next week, I had my fifth-wheel pickup, my fifth-wheel trailer, and my pickup hooked onto a... Uh, pick up and off I went to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, and we started buying four-row Lilliston cultivators and hauling them to, to Ontario, Oregon. You know, and that's how we kind of got started in in one of the ways we got started in the machinery business uh, because those guys were quitting the four-row stuff, and we were still using four-row stuff here. Right. And then as they started using, they started getting rid of their six-row stuff. Well, we were still using six-row stuff here and, and eight-row and 12-row and so on and so forth. And you got to remember, 
that one of the things about the Lower Snake River Valley is there's 200 crops raised in a 50 mile radius. So there's lots of diversity. So there's lots of, of uh, high intense uh, cultivation things that are used here that, uh, that are not used maybe in Iowa or Kansas or other places where they don't have irrigation, you know. Yeah. The irrigation water is the is the key to making things grow here. We say many times that the water is worth more than the land because if you don't have the water, the land won't grow anything. Not only the surface water, but the groundwater as well. The Absolutely. groundwater is worth just as much as the surface water Absolutely. is. So anyways, folks, we're coming to the end of our first segment here. Where I'm with Gary Sparks and... Carolina Bear in Nyssa, Oregon. We're, we're broadcasting from Gary's office at Nyssa Tractor Salvage. We appreciate the good people at Pfeiffer Auction and Realty for sponsoring our show. For a list of all of our upcoming auctions for the fall of 2023, we've got almost 60 land and machinery auctions that we've got up on the website for drone footage and all the pictures and the information and the location of those upper Midwest auctions. Go to our website at pifers.com or simply give us a call, 605-836-2277. Nobody does it better. Hi, this is Jasmine from Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Land Management out of our Worthing, South Dakota facility. Do you enjoy the excitement of live auctions? Well, you're in luck. Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty has over 60 land and machinery auctions coming this fall that span across North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Montana. Not able to join us on site? Then join us online with our simulcast bidding option. Check out all listings and register at Pfeiffer's.com. That's P-I-F-E-R-S.com. Where consultations are always free and nobody does it better. Call Pfeiffer's Auction at 605-836-2277. Once again, that's 605-836-2277. Hey folks, this is Chris Bear with the Legacy of Agriculture. We're back with Gary Sparks in Nyssa, Oregon, and my co-host Carolina. Carolina, you were pretty quiet during the first segment. I couldn't find any places where I could jump in. The conversation was going so good that I didn't want to interrupt it. I was like, you know what? I'll let them do their thing. So, do you think that two auctioneers talking a lot, there's no room for talk amongst anybody else? Well, not that, but it's more like like just like the, the flow of the conversation. I was like, oh, I want to ask this, but you know what? They're doing their thing, so I won't interrupt it. So, so you're kind of a city slicker girl, just a little bit. And oh. not real familiar with the machinery side of it. You were around the, the auction business a little bit. What do you think about this 40 acres of machinery in a small town in this Oregon and, and everything that's going on here? Is it a little overwhelming or what do you think? I think I think it's really interesting because like, again, like I'm from like the city, I'm from a bigger city. So it's like you don't see like a lot of tractors and stuff like that, especially when you start driving in. But kind of where I live, I live on like kind of like an outskirts of a, of a smaller town. And so whenever like I do see like, you know, tractors and agriculture and stuff, I always kind of have questions about it because I, re- I don't know if you remember this, dad, but um, I was driving one day and I saw a Jaguar tractor and like my first thought was like, oh, I'll call my dad about that. That was a forage harvester. Yes. It's yes. a Kloss Jaguar forage harvester, yes. not a tractor. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? My dad would know something like this. So I remember. But then I forgot to call you. Yeah, that's that's cute. <laughs> but 
But then, like, I remember I was standing in line for a concert. I was going to see the sleep token. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to call my dad about it. And so I remember just standing in the middle of a line. And I was like, hey, dad, I want to, I want to know if you know anything about this. So uh, it is very interesting to go and walk out into those fields and see some of those really, really old tractors and see kind of how they have, like, evolved over decades of time and how, um, and how, like much better we've gotten with all with everything and all the equipment well gary and our thank you carolina gary in our first segment we were talking about uh, you, uh your early years in the auction business and the very beginning transformation into the machinery business and you were buying whole goods out in the midwest and bringing them back here into the rocky mountains and reselling it here in the treasure valley tell us a little bit more about your experience in your transition and, and, and why you took on the parts business rather than maybe staying with the auction business? Well, the auction business is, there's just so much spare time. I had, I, you know, uh, you, you have time, you've only got so much time in this lifetime and I like to stay busy. I, uh, um, I was just more interested in working every day rather than uh, just trying to promote somebody, you know. And and uh, uh, as the auction business uh, changed, uh, there was more and more competition all the time. Um, uh, you know, we still do we still do auctions, but uh, it's it's changed so much, and we got busy in the. I guess the the main thing was the the time that was wasted during the summer months and the uh, spring and fall and stuff, you know. Um, I'm just a I'm just a machinery trader, and that's what I like to do. I guess is about the only thing I can say, you know. So once you started trading machinery and you're trading whole goods, how did it transition into the parts business and into the salvage business here at Nissa Tractor? Well, it went pretty smoothly, actually. We um, um, ended up with uh, the. I remember the first. Uh, First tractor that that I bought that ended up getting parted out was International 560 diesel. Uh, guess what? I bought one with a bad cylinder head, and they're still all bad to this day. But uh, that's they were how, born from the factory bad. That's they? exactly right, <laughs> exactly. And uh, uh, we bought a tractor that we couldn't sell, and so we sold the tires off, sold the front end off, sold the radiator off, and uh, uh, I don't know. We might have even dug around and got the TA out of the bottom of it, but. Uh, yeah, one thing kind of led to another, and we uh, made a few bucks on one. We went out and bought another one, and and uh, we didn't have anything to work with. I had a, a tilt bed Buell trailer and a and a uh, half ton pickup that we started with, and a, a handyman jack, and that was about it. Right, did it the hard way. Mm-hmm. The hard way is right. So, yeah. how many this this morning? Uh, we Carolina and I had the chance to drive around and and look at some of the, the pieces that you've got in the yard. How do you, you're so full here, there's no extra ground. There's there's no bare dirt other than the roads and right here immediately around the shop. How do you determine when it's time for a piece to get quote unquote scrapped out or turned into iron and put something else in its place? Well, that's pretty simple. That's when the real estate becomes more valuable than the piece of machinery sitting on it. When you need the room, when you need the parking space, something's got to go to the pile. And you just got to bite the bullet and do it. 
you've got a scrap iron pile. How tall is that scrap iron pile and how long is it? Oh, uh, I couldn't tell you exactly. Uh, we've got, you know, the last time that scrap iron was, I've never sold any scrap in all of my career. So we just pile it and we shear it, cut it and pile it. Um, oh, I don't know. It's a uh, couple hundred yards long and probably 25 feet tall. 25 and feet tall. It's just well over 40 feet wide. It, it, yeah. it, it's absolutely amazing. But that's a, it's a byproduct. That's a that's something that uh, we just out of sight and out of mind type thing, you know, and we're going with our day-to-day -day operations here. It's a mom-and-pop operation. Judy keeps the books, and, and I've got two mature uh, young men that are very good, uh, very knowledgeable. And uh, John, my youngest boy, who now is... Uh, in the range of 32 years old is he uh, started out as a John Deere mechanic. He's been through the John Deere program. And so he speaks, uh, you know, late model John Deere combines. And Stephen is, uh, Stephen is the, the uh, lead salesman here. And, and uh, they do a good job of understanding when somebody calls, um, they understand what they're talking about. They know, um, you know, that uh, if you're talking about a, uh, a piece of farm machinery they know what it is and and they they have a vested interest in making sure that they get you up and running as soon as possible because time is money and in the farming business the weather changes things dramatically and you've got to get it done on a timely basis and those boys understand that and they work hard to make it happen and they get the parts shipped in a timely manner 99% of the time they'll ship the day that you call so that uh uh, you get it as, as quick as possible, and they understand that, and they work hard to make sure that that happens. Where's the, where's the furthest away place you've sold parts? Well, I suppose Australia, yeah. Farthest away. Yeah. Do you, do you get to sell a lot of parts overseas, or is that a fairly limited market? Or It's a limited market just because it's so far, but we do have a, a handful of customers that, uh, mostly dealers that buy things from us, uh, uh, we sent a container load of stuff to the Netherlands uh, just last oh, month, wow. and uh, we sent a uh, another container to Chile uh, not too terrible long ago. We shipped another container to uh, uh, to Mexico not just recently. So yeah, we sent we sent. That's a lot of work to fill a container full of parts. <laughs> are, they, are they buying any whole goods when they fill a container? Is it just mostly parts? Most of the time, when they buy containers, they're buying whole goods. Okay. Yeah, they're buying tractors. They're buying. We put stack wagons in there. We put balers in there. Um, yeah, it's hard work taking the wheels and tires off and sliding them tractors in there. Keep from ruining the cabs, you know, and get them in them containers. It's it's hard work. I never even considered like sending tractors internationally. That's really cool. Yeah, that's a that's a huge undertaking. Wow. Do they supply you with the containers? Or you got to go out and get your own containers. Well, here lately, them union boys over there at the coast, they have been so hard to get along with that that I tell them, fellers, you get that container here, I'll fill it. But I'm not having anything to do with those union guys on the coast. They are absolutely <laughs> insane. 
They do everything that they can to make your life as miserable as they possibly can. It's all about money, isn't it? If you think it's about something besides money, you need to reconsider that thought. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, folks, we're we're rounding up and finishing up our sec- second segment on the legacy of agriculture. My good friend Gary Sparks from Nissa Tractor in Nissa, Oregon, and my co-host Carolina Bear is with us. Uh, we appreciate the good people at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty. And don't forget the land management side. And uh, we'll be right back with our next segment of the Legacy of Agriculture. Hey everyone, this is Josh with Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty just south of Sioux Falls off of Exit 64. We're excited to announce our sale on December 5th for equipment and we already have a wonderful line of machinery coming into the lot. That means if you're looking to sell something, you should give us a call at 605-836-2277. Again, that phone number is 605-836-2277. For more information, go to our website at Pfeiffer's.com. That's P-I-F-E-R-S dot com or call 605-836-2277. Pfeiffer's. Nobody does it better. Hey folks, this is Chris Bear. We're coming into our third segment. I'm the host of the Legacy of Agriculture, my good friend Gary Sparks, and co-host, my one and only beautiful daughter Carolina is here co-hosting the show with us. And we are in Nyssa, Oregon, uh, recording today. Gary I've been coming to Nyssa for the better share of 30 years. How in the world did you come up with the name Nyssa? And it's spelled weird. Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's... The story behind that is we are in here in eastern Oregon. We are bordered by the Snake River. The Snake River is an obstacle um, that divides Oregon from Idaho. And to get the livestock out of this part of the world, they had to build a bridge. And they put a set of shipping corrals up. And when they got all done building the shipping corrals, and they didn't have a name for the place. So they hung up the first letter in each of the names of the people that built the bridge. And it was the New York Stock Shippers Association. So they hung up the letters NYSSA, and that stuck. And let me tell you, it's been nothing but a curse from the word go for me because nobody's ever heard of it. There's only one Nessa, and nobody's ever been here. I'd have sure been a lot better off if I'd have called it Ontario Tractor and Implement. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> true. And and the railroad bridge that comes into town is too low to put machinery under, so you always go got to go around the railroad bridge. Is that oh, correct? Oh, yeah. They, they scalp off something about every six months down there. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed this morning when I came through, the, the beet factory is right on the road, and somebody had crinkled the hood on their pickup, ran into the back of an onion truck. In our in our first segment, you talked about almost 200 different types of crops that are raised in this region. I want to talk a little bit about that. I, I know there's onions. I know there's potatoes. I know there's alfalfa seed. What are some of the other uh, crops that are grown in this area that are good cash crops? Lots and lots of specialty seeds. There's popcorn seed raised here. There's corn seed raised here. Um, you know, lots and different varieties of alfalfa. Um, carrot seed, radish seed, lettuce seed. Uh, you got to remember we're at 2,200 feet elevation. And it's <laughs> one of the things that the old pioneer said 
when they came here homesteading in Malheur County is that it's nice to be someplace that the wind isn't blowing all the time. And that's why we get away with the specialty seeds. They don't get shattered by the wind. It's oh. real calm, real calm and, uh, and uh, a mild environment. Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in eastern Idaho, and Nyssa is just on the other side of the river here in western Idaho. And in eastern Idaho, the wind never quits blowing. Right. So right. it's always blowing. You said something interesting in the in the first segment that I'd like to talk about. I know that being in the auction business in the Midwest, uh, we're always talking about land values. And now we're starting to sell up in the Balkan in, in, in eastern Montana and northwestern North Dakota. We're now starting to sell mineral rights at auction. And But here in, in the mountain valleys of Idaho and Utah and, and Nevada, we talk about, you, you said that the water was more valuable than the land. Explain to our listeners in the Midwest why that statement is true. Well, our annual precipitation is 12 inches of rain. That's annual. And so, you know, once again, at 2,200 feet, uh, you have got to have four acre feet of water to produce a crop. Right. So uh, our water actually here comes clear out of Nevada. We have a dam 40 miles up here in the hills that is 50 miles long when it's full. It's called the Owyhee Dam. And the Owyhee Reservoir, if you will, uh, is 50 miles long. And when that reservoir is full, there's enough water to irrigate the whole valley for two years. Okay. So. And that's just, that's just surface water. That's just surface water. That's not the underground water as well. I know that when you get into other parts of the region here that that may not have surface water, all they've got is underground water. I was raised on an irrigated farm where some of those wells were 300 feet deep to get to good water. So, So water becomes absolutely, you could not farm here without surface and groundwater. Absolutely not. And those of you that are are listening in the Midwest, uh, some of this ground here in the in these smaller valleys are are every little bit of water and every little bit of ground. But the crop production is amazing here. You can have 130, 140 acre bushel fall wheat. Oh, yeah. If not, if you're not raising 150 foot, 150 bushel wheat, you're. You're not getting it done around here. You're you're not doing it exactly right. But these are on small 40-acre, 50-acre, 60, 70-acre farms where they're flood irrigated. Not not necessarily just pivots or, or wheel lines or I don't even know if they do hand lines, but some solid sets. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's just flood irrigated. And those of you that are familiar with flood irrigating, that's one of the hardest ways to raise a crop that there is. It's most labor intense because the water comes down the ditch and then comes along the headland in a concrete ditch. And then we take the water out of the ditch with a siphon tube. And if you haven't ever been here and set a siphon tube, it's worth a trip over just to try and do it. There's all kinds of farmers that love to have you help them (laughs) at at four o'clock in the morning. That, that is for sure. Yes, it's it's flood irrigated. It's gravity flow irrigation. And once again, it comes out of a siphon tube. And that siphon tube can be either made out of aluminum or it can be made out of plastic. Most of it nowadays is aluminum. And uh, you siphon the water out of the ditch and get it in the row. Most things are done in 22-inch rows. 
There's some 30-inch rows yet anymore, uh, but then also something that's that's relatively new to Eastern Oregon is drip tape. Just yep. just like they use in California, they pressurize, they bury the drip tape, and then they pressurize the drip tape, and they're getting real. You know, the onion business here. We die, live and die with the onion business. That's the that's the big thing around here. And those onions that are raised under drip tape. They get the water exactly when they need it. They get the fertilizer exactly when they need it. And it keeps the, keeps you from stressing the crop on one end of the field. It irrigates evenly. And it, uh, it really, really boosts the production. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's well over twice as much production as it would be if it was just regular groundwater. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I talk. I want to talk a little bit more in our next segment, in segment four, about the irrigation in the area. Uh, we're running out of time in segment number three, but we want to uh, thank our good spot sponsor, Pfeiffer Auction and Realty, uh, for sponsoring this show. We appreciate them. For more information, give us a call at our office at 605-836-2277. bid. Hi, this is Jasmine from Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Land Management out of our Worthing, South Dakota facility. Do you enjoy the excitement of live auctions? Well, you're in luck. Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty has over 60 land and machinery auctions coming this fall that span across North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Montana. Not able to join us on site? Then join us online with our simulcast bidding option. Check out all listings and register at Pfeiffer's.com. That's P-I-F-E-R-S.com. Where consultations are always free and nobody does it better. Call Pfeiffer's Auction at 605-836-2277. Once again, that's 605-836-2277. Hey folks, this is Chris Bear with the Legacy of Agriculture. I'm your host this morning and we are on the road. Carolina Bear, my daughter uh, and I are on the road in Nyssa, Oregon, visiting with Gary Sparks. And in our last segment, we talked a lot about uh, irrigation. And there's a lot of people that don't understand how intense irrigation can be. There's all kinds of irrigation systems. When I was a kid, we grew up with with hand lines. And nobody wants to describe how, how tough it is to move hand lines day and night all through the summertime. But it makes for good football players. Uh, we got solid sets. There's there's flood irrigation that Gary talked about. Uh, we got wheel lines, and and later into the early '80s and and especially into the '90s, the center pivot uh, started. They started to perfect the center pivot, and they were able to get enough of technology and micro switches and and computer boards that could make pivots run efficiently electronically than than they could mechanically and so pivots kind of started to take to take over in the midwest we're we're really used to uh, planting the crop oftentimes uh, planting and then uh, waiting for the rain to come and then spraying it and then harvesting it but out here in in uh, eastern oregon gary it's a lot different well, it is, Chris. the The pivot, the, you know, that you that you talk about has 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 really made the farming deal better in the in the Northwest because they can utilize the more more marginal ground, the ground that before you couldn't get enough water to to raise anything, and it was burning up on one side and wet on the other. 
you put a pivot on them on those, uh, you know, we call them steeper ground. Uh, some you can you can raise some pretty darn good potatoes underneath a pivot on a on a hillside. That's exactly right, and they're doing it. Oh and, yeah, and, and very oh, yeah. and all of that marginal farm ground that was five hundred acre uh, five hundred dollar an acre farm ground back in the eighties is worth eight nine ten thousand dollars an acre today just because you got the water you've got the ground and you've got an irrigation system that allows that farmer to to farm that that ground efficiently efficiently right yeah very much efficiently so uh over here in in oregon we were talking about all the different types of seed and one of the reasons why it works really well you're protected here in this valley from the wind and that's very, very important as, as you're growing all uh, varieties of alfalfa seed, carrot seed. I suppose they don't do onion seed here, do they? Oh, yeah. Lots of onion. It's not a lot, but, you know, it takes it takes onion seed. You bet. You bet. There's a lot of huge warehouses. I, I was noticing this morning uh, driving through Parma, Idaho and some of those places, you're right in the heart of, the, of onion harvest. And the interesting thing about onions that people don't know is, is that when the, the onion is harvested, they lift it out of the ground and they set it on top of the ground and allow the onion to dry. Is Absolutely. that correct? It's got to be dry when it goes into the warehouse, otherwise it'll rot. Yeah, it'll get fungus on it and, and, and then they go back out. How long does that take? Well, the harvest process run around here runs about six weeks, um, but... Uh, uh, they're just now finishing up. You've got to finish up before it frosts. If it if the onion gets froze, it won't keep. That's correct. And a lot of these onions, uh, even though nowadays they're going into refrigerated uh, onion warehouses, they still have to be in pretty good shape if they're going to keep them. Some of these guys keep those onions for almost a year before they actually sell them. Yeah, technology and refrigeration over the last 25 years has allowed both potatoes and onions to be able to store be stored efficiently almost until the new crop is ready not quite but pretty close to when the new crop is ready absolutely the following year so you've traveled all over the all over the northwest buying machinery and bringing it here to nissa oregon what's some of the most interesting things that you've bought over a 35 40 year career gary the most interesting things we drove right past some interesting things <laughs> this morning. I mean, most everything out in your yard to an old junk man like me is interesting. Well, I can I can spend days out here just driving around looking. One of the things that has become dearer to my heart is the you know the, the muscle tractors, the 1970 model, uh, the 4020, the 4320. Well, I'll start with the 3020 in the in the hydraulic front wheel assist. Um, got a full collection of those and, and, uh, you know, any of those tractors that are in that era that are either mechanical or hydraulic front wheel assists or, or some of the things that, that are the, the most interesting to me. And, and the reason for that is because they were only sold. Let's take for example, the, the 4020 hydraulic front. Um, that was a tractor that was sold here. That was a potato farmer tractor. That was a muscle tractor. That's a tractor that was not sold in Nebraska. It was not sold in Kansas. It was sold 
to the Idaho potato farmer and promoted to him as more horsepower because he was trying to pull a four-row potato planter and a two-row potato digger and a six-row sugar beet digger, you know, and and uh, there was a few of those tractors sold in the south in the cane, and there was a few of them sold in upstate New York in the in the dairies, but those tractors are all gone. You got to remember, we're in a dry climate here. 12 inches of annual rain a year does not rust the hood off your tractor. No. You can't look at the floorboard through the floorboard and see the ground. That's right. So we've got some sheet metal and some things in this part of the world that they don't have anyplace else. And the, four, the old 4020, I've got some 4020s and you know hydraulic front tractors that have been outside all their life. Never 50 seen years. A, 50 never years. seen the shit. Right? Yeah. And the sheet metal's still perfect. Yeah. So that's kind of cool, I think, in my way of thinking, and and um, well, that's what we've kind of kind of collected over the years. Do you enjoy working with your boys? I know that uh, to to see the light in your eyes when you talk about your your wife and your boys, that's been a real blessing to you to be able to have your your sons here working right by your side oh, ever since they were little guys. Yeah, they started sweeping the floor when they was big enough to run a broom. But uh, yeah, absolutely. To have Stephen and John here is is uh, uh, an absolute blessing, and and uh, we're we're just both, Judy and I both we'd have both give up by now, we'd have both quit because it's just too overwhelming. There's just too much work to do. But I pass that work off to the boys, and I get in the truck and drive off and go buy something or sell something or deliver something, or uh, they run the day to day operations, and uh, you know from the from the 1st of May till the end of September for about this time of year, a lot of times we'll take 300 calls a day. And, a and you know, we've got uh, three guys, sometimes four in the office doing that. And, and that's a young man's game. That's not that that's not something for the senior citizens to be talking about. That's that's not what we want to do anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> so what? what? Oh, sorry. Continue. They do it and they do it well. And we're proud of that. So what does keep younger people in this business? Like what what aspects of this business does keep younger people in so they can continue that family generational business of um, selling equipment? Money. Money? <laughs> it's always about money, isn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> like oftentimes like I hear these stories, it's like, well, I'm a tractor auctioneer because like my grandpa was, my dad was, my uncle was, my cousin was, my brother was. And so, like, that kind of does put it into perspective. It's like when you all, like, work together, that's what really brings in the business. It's like kind of like more of a bonding thing, wouldn't you say, as well? Yeah, there's a lot of bonding that goes on in a family-ran business, you know. But everybody everybody has to get along, and sometimes, sometimes the boys have to be reminded about that. You know, I'm, my favorite quote to them is, look, you guys need each other. Get along. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Well, Gary, I I really appreciate it. It's been a treat to get to see you again and 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 see Judy and both John and Steve. Um, we're going to post on our website, uh, folks. We're going to post Nissa Tractor and Salvage telephone number and contact information. And if you need any parts, good used combine or tractor parts, Nissa Tractor is the place you're going to want to go to get those parts. Again, thank you very much, Gary. And this is uh, Chris Bear with the Legacy of Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. We hope you've enjoyed today's edition of the Legacy of Agriculture with Chris Bear. 
Sponsored by Pfeiffer's Auction, Realty, and Land Management. Call Pfeiffer's at 605-836-2277.